We are in Genesis chapter 33. Hope you brought your Bibles because, you know, we're going to be spending some time in them. And let's start with verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the woman and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, and they and their children bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children till I come to my Lord and seer. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to seer. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. And therefore the name of this place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padanaram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just pray that you would be with us now. I pray that, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding as we look at your word. I pray that, Lord, that you would speak to each person here. I pray that, Lord, that you would help each of us to to hear what you are saying to us. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Help us, Lord, to love what you love. Help us to hate what you hate. Help us to be what you would have us to be. And, Lord, help us to glorify your holy name in all that we say and all that we do. These things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, um, 
When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, one of the things it says is that all these things that are in the Old Testament are there as an example to us. And we're supposed to learn things from these scriptures in the Old Testament, and we're supposed to apply these things to our individual lives, because these are models for us. And, you know, when you look at chapter 33, one of the things that happens all too often, and I found this looking at some commentaries, looking at this, is they focus on the reconciliation between Jacob and Esau, and that's important. Reconciliation is always an important thing. But if all you see here is this issue of the reconciliation of these two, you're missing the rest of the story. There's much more going on here. This helps us to see part of the transformation that begins in Jacob. Now, in order to really understand, we're going to have to take a look at some of the previous scriptures. So let's turn, if you would, um, to Genesis chapter 25. And looking at his birth, in chapter 25, verse 24, it says, When her days were were to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Now, you know, the name Jacob means supplanter. He's a deceiver. From the very beginning, this guy is struggling. From the very beginning, this guy is fighting. From the very beginning, this guy is all about being number one, being and doing what he wants. And you know what? That's like you and me. Okay? You know, um, I love to watch, look at babies. They, they're so cute. But you know what? They're little sinners. <laughs> and you know what? They want what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And you know, it's your job to take that little savage, however cute he is, and it's your job to help him to grow up into somebody who's more focused on other people other than himself. So that he's part of a family that loves each other, that takes care of each other. He's part of a society that cares about the other parts of that society. You got to take that little cute little savage, that cute little sinner, and you've got to raise him into something else. 
That's what being a parent is about. Now, you know, I made a mistake here. My phone is going off. And I don't suppose that's God calling, so I'm not going to answer it. (laughs) So, um, but this is how Jacob comes into the world. And one of the things that we see is all the way through, through chapter 28, this guy is struggling. This guy is going his own way. This guy is doing his own thing. And finally, the pressures mount. And things happen so that he is forced into a situation where he is finally sensitive to the reality of his situation. And and so in chapter 28, verse 9, after this whole situation blows up between him and Esau, he has to leave. But you know something? If you are a Christian today, it is because God saw you. God chose you. God loved you. And he has plans for you. Now, I was talking with my Sunday school class about plans. You know? Okay. How many of you are living out the plan you had for yourselves in your 20s? Anybody? Yeah. I'm not on plan B here, folks. I'm on plan Z here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in Ridgecrest, right? (laughs) Probably you either. (laughs) But God has a plan for you. God has things that he wants to do in you. Things that, you know, if you had your own way, you probably wouldn't be doing them. In chapter 28, verse 10, he's forced out of home. He's got to leave. And in verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, on the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And you know, this is a lot similar to what you see the the promise that God gave to Abram in chapter 12 Verses 1 through 3. 
Verse 16 says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was, was Luzit first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me the bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, look, one of the things we see here is Jacob did not find God. God found him. Just as he found you. Look, folks, you are not here today by accident. God has a purpose for you. It may not be readily apparent at the time, but he is doing things in you. He's doing things through other people to help you become conformed to the image of Christ. Folks, for the believer, nothing happens by accident. In fact, let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 16. Chapter 16, let's take a look at verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of what? Trouble. The things that are in your lives are not there by accident. God is using those things to shape you, to mold you into the man, to the woman that he has called you to be. And God found Jacob, and Jacob responded. And one of the things he says, verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. Well, after he made this vow, he goes on, and he he goes to Haran. He goes and he spends time with his uncle Laban. And and as Bill has been preaching the the past few weeks, 
we see that one of the things that has happened is that Laban, well, you know, if Jacob was a supplanter, Laban was a supplanter supplanter. He was trickier, he was more deceptive, he was he was not there by accident. You got a boss who's giving you grief? You think he's there by accident? You got a relative? You got a neighbor? They're not there by accident. See, here's what God does. God uses these people. He uses these circumstances to shape you. You know how you get a diamond? You take a hunk of coal. And what do you do with it? You put it under pressure. A little bit of pressure. A lot of pressure. And this is how he makes you more like Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? On the cross? He suffered. You know the word Christian, you know what it means? It means little Christ. And if Christ suffered, if you're going to become more like Christ, you are going to suffer as well. Because that's what it takes to become like Christ. And in Joseph's, in, in Jacob's case here, he goes through all this grief with Laban until chapter 31. Let's take a look. Well, let's start with verse 31. Now, Jacob heard that, that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And, and, and from what was our father's, he's gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. You know, it takes pain. For us to hear what God is saying. It takes pain to sensitize us. Goes on and says, So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, and all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season, the 
of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out of this land, return to the land of your kindred. God is calling him back. And so he used the pressure of this situation with Laban to wake him up. And he used this opportunity to say, hey, it's time for you to go back home. One of the things that you see next is in chapter 32. After he leaves Laban, He's on his way back home. In verse 3 it says, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Eden, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in his sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, uh, we came to Esau, your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Now, you remember how things were when they parted. Esau wanted him dead and was more than willing to do the job himself. And so for over 20 years, there's no communication between them. You know, God does not allow things to go unsettled. And Jacob is coming back into the land, and he knows that he has to meet his brother. He knows that things have to be patched up. Because, well, when he left, as we said, they were in a pretty bad state of affairs. And now he knows, oh yeah, I'm going to have to see Esau with 400 of his closest friends. This does not sound good because there's no other message other than I'm coming with 400 other guys. And you know, yeah, he's worried. He's scared. This doesn't sound good. Verse 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, 
who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I've come become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me and the mother and the mother's with the children, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which can, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, you know, he did what you are supposed to do in troubled times. Number one, pray. Because you know what? It doesn't matter how smart you are doesn't matter how capable you are. doesn't matter how wonderful you are. God's going to put you in a situation where you have to rely on him. This is the nature of the Christian walk. And the older you get in the Lord, the closer you get to the Lord, one of the things that you realize is just how dependent you really are on him. The more you realize, hey, you can't do anything on your own. And he brings these situations so that you have to rely upon him. You have to trust him. So, he is, he's praying. And, you know, one of the things you see is, you know, he, he sends all of this stuff as gifts to Esau. He's trying to, to sweeten the deal. He's trying to mollify him. He's trying to he's trying to buy his way back in. Because you know, he cheated Esau no less than twice. And not out of tiddlywinks. Out of some real serious stuff. Out of blessing. Out of everything. And now he knows that Esau is coming with 400 other guys. So he sends all these gifts to try to make the situation better. And then one of the things you see is starting with verse 22, is that he wrestles with God. Let's take a look um, at verse 28. Verse 27, I'm sorry. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God 
and with men and have prevailed. Now, in the ancient Near East and in this part of the world, a name is significant because a name reflects the nature, the purpose, the character, and often the destiny of a thing. Jacob was the supplanter before. He was the deceiver before. But now he's been changed into the one who wrestles with God and man and prevails. Now, this is something that should give him confidence. Something that should help him to see that, hey, you're going to get through this. The situation with Esau, the Lord's going to take you through it. And you know, as far as his descendants are concerned, this name Israel is a reminder. Because, you know, by all rights, there shouldn't be any Jews today. Because there's been attempt after attempt after attempt after attempt to try to wipe them out. How's that worked out? God has protected them. God has preserved them. God has a purpose for them. Just as he had for Jacob, now Israel. And it's in light of all this that we can finally understand what you see in chapter 33. Because here's the thing. Right after he's named here, in chapter 33, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men with him. That which he feared, right after he's named, here it is. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Now, okay, what is clear is he's got a priority. What is clear is he loves Rachel and Joseph most of all. Okay. Yeah, he's got a new name. He's a better man, but he ain't there yet. You know, I was telling my Sunday school class, you know, you can put all the right ingredients in the pan, but if you bake a cake and you pull the cake out before it's time, what have you got? Well, you got a sugar cookie, essentially. And if you leave it in the pan for too long, well, well essentially all you got is brick. 
And you know, God is still working with him, but the change is now in effect. I mean, he's not all the way there yet, but he's on the way. And here's one of the things we see. He says, verse 3, He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now the old Jacob, what he would have done was he would have tried to, well, he would have tried some trick. He would have tried some some degree of slickery or whatever to get out of the situation. But what he does instead, I think, is interesting. Because, number one, he gets out in front of his wife and his children, okay? It says, verse 3, he himself went on before them, before the wives and the children. Before, he might have tried to send the, the, the wives and kids ahead and slipped, slipped in through the back door or something. But no, this time he goes ahead. He shows courage rather than cowardice. Here's something else. He shows humility rather than arrogance. And here's something else. He's penitent. He's repentant of the things that he has done. And he's trying to restore that which he cheated Esau out of. This is the new man. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him when they wept. And Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children. He said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Now, just as God changed Jacob's name, changed his character, you know what? God also changed Esau. See, here's the thing. We don't know what God is doing in people. We don't know what God is doing in, in other circumstances that, that we can't see. You know, um, I, I remember um, when I, in Southwestern, um, they used to have a, a pretty strong Ph.D. program, and one of the things that they would do to weed people out um, is you have to take two years of German for, for most of the areas of study at the Ph.D. level. Now, 
How many of you have ever read what Mark Twain had to say about the German language? I mean, basically, it's really difficult. It's, it's really quite a pain to learn, okay? And I remember in this, this, this German class, the first week in there, there were 33 students in there, and, and we had Scotty Gray, who, I mean, was just as tough as nails, okay? And, and one of the things that happened was, after the first week, we were down to 25 students. And I remember by the end of that semester, there were 15 of us left, and I passed that course with a C-, and I was happy. And I remember the next semester, there's only 12 of us in there. And one of the things that got me, because all of these guys had done better the previous term, all of them had done better than me, and one of the things that Scotty Gray would do is he, he would call at people and ask, you know, he, he'd come up with, with something that we hadn't prepared for, and he'd ask us to translate on the fly. And, you know, um, one of the things that would always happen is all the other guys would say, well, Craig, you need to read this. I'm thinking, man, why are these guys against me? Why are they always picking on me? Why are they making me do this? About halfway through the course, I just, I just asked them, why, why are you guys doing this to me? Why are you guys always making me do this? And they explained, because you can do it and we can't. Now, you know, I was attributing all kinds of things to them without really understanding what was going on. And, you know, Jacob, Israel, he had all of these kinds of assumptions about Esau. And, you know, when he finally meets Esau, Esau is warm. And Esau wants reconciliation. Esau is just happy to see his brother. It's amazing what God can do, isn't it? it says, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and wept. And Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children. And he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I meet? And Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. Now, here, here's, here's another thing. He's his brother. But he's showing him all this deference. Why? Because he dug quite a hole for himself years before. And he's acting out of penitence. He's acting out of humility rather than the arrogance he held before. He says, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my presence from my, from my hand, for I have seen your face, 
which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me, and if they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord and see her. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed himself to Succoth, made a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Now, now, here's one of the things that's also clear, okay? As warm as Esau was, there's still some of the old Jacob there. Because he doesn't entirely trust his brother. And what should be obvious is that Esau wanted to be in relationship with him. Now, folks, God changes us, but not all in one night. We become more Christ-like over time. And in some cases, you know, we make great leaps. But you know what? We never arrive. We're never all the way there. Let's take a look at verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padanaram, and he camped before the city. So one of the things you see is he stops in Succoth, okay? But this is still outside the promised land. And one of the things we saw when we looked at chapter 31 is that God called him all the way home. And he's not there yet. So he built himself a house, but that's all. When you look at chapter 33, one, in verse 18, one of the things it says, is it said, Jacob came, and you know, um, you know, the ESV doesn't give, you know, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the, the ESV translation, you know, because, you know, uh, you do know that I was a contributor to the ESV study Bible, right? (laughs) That being said, still not the best translation. Because it said Jacob came safely. Actually, uh, a more accurate translation would be in peace. In fact, the actual name of the place was not Shechem, That's really more of a personal name. The real name of the place is Salem. What does that mean? 
peace. And Jacob came to Salem, to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. This is the promised land. This is where God had called him back to. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land where he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it, called it El Elohi Israel. Now here's the thing. Um, when you read this, it's reminiscent of something that you see with Abraham. Let's go back to chapter 12. And let's um, let's go to verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they, came, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. So one of the things that he does is he builds... An altar, but he pitches his tent. And this is what you see Jacob, now Israel, doing in chapter 33. He pitches his tent, but he builds his altar. Now here's the significance, folks. See, both Abram In Israel, they're looking at eternity. They're looking at the big picture. Because what do most people do? They build their houses and they pitch their altars. And there comes a time if you are following the Lord, that you are going to pitch your tent and build your altar. So here's the question. Number one, do you belong to the Lord today? If you do, praise God. Here's the next question. 
Are you ready to pitch your tent and build your altar? Or do you still want to do things your own way? Jacob was all about building his tent and pitching his altar. Israel was all about the opposite. Are you Jacob or are you Israel? Here's something else. If you don't know the Lord today, you are not here by accident. The Lord brought you here today because now is the time of salvation. Now is the time for you to come to him. Whether you are a believer or whether you are not, the Lord is calling on you to make a decision today. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would be with everyone here. Lord, for those who do not know you, I pray that they would respond today. But Lord, for those who do know you, I pray that, Lord, that they would draw closer to you. That they would look with that eternal vision. That they would pitch their tent today and start building their altar. That they would live to glorify your holy name in all that they say and in all that they do. Lord, guide us. These things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.